Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaVariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to P.I.'s Declassified, an inside look at the world of private investigators. Your host is Francie Kaler, a noted private investigator. Francie and her guests take you behind the scenes and into the genuine, sometimes gritty business of investigation. You'll hear stories from the trenches with plenty of surprises. Here's your host, Francie Kaler. Good morning. We're going to have a fun um, program this morning. PI Museum, past, present, and future. So are you interested in detectives, spies, and private eyes and relics of the bygone days? The PI Museum is the only museum dedicated to finding, acquiring, preserving, and displaying historic treasures from PI history. We have today PI Museum's curator, Ben Harold. He's been collecting artifacts of PI's detective, spies, and private eyes for 30-plus years. And he's here to share the stories behind some of his many treasures. Ben also has plans, big plans, for his amazing collection and his PI Museum Mobile. Ben Harold received his private investigator license in California 33 years ago, and he owned San Diego-based gas lamp investigations in the historic gas lamp district of San Diego. Even though he was investigating interesting cases, his real love was building his collection a collection that, uh, frankly, has now grown to epic proportions, and I think it's growing out of the building he has it in. Good morning, Ben. Good morning, Francie, and thank you for having me. Uh, I'm delighted to have you on the show, Ben. Uh, you've got so many interesting things to talk about. But, you know, why don't we tell, uh, why don't you tell, I guess I can't help you with this, uh, why don't you tell our listeners how you started out as a private investigator? How did you get there? Well, thank you for asking that question because I dare say there are few private investigators, uh, let alone the general public, that would have had any idea that my pathway to becoming a licensed California private investigator was filled with what I call mini-adventures, M-I-N-I. By that I mean I just followed my adventurous spirit. You know, I literally left high school in the middle of my senior year and took off and joined the Navy. Uh Uh-huh. During that period of time, I had many adventures, um, particularly in the Far East. I mean, I remember one time when I got a a cab driver to take me into China. You weren't supposed to go into China back in the early 60s. So that was one mini adventure. And then it was followed by a a, a travel gig for two years, traveling all over the world as a tour escort for a charter tour operator, which was then followed by a 50,000-mile tour around the United States on a motorcycle. Hmm. And all of these many adventures gave me an opportunity, unconsciously at the time, Francie, to be honest, gave me an opportunity to do things that 
needed to be done, you know, like tilting at windmills, I would call it. The example is the motorcycle I was riding had a, a defect in it. So I worked with the Washington Post and Ralph Nader and Senator John Tunney uh, and Doug Toms at the Department of Transportation to force Honda to recall that model and make it safe for people. Opened the Garden State Parkway with the help of Malcolm Forbes to motorcyclists. So those are just a few of those adventures. Then I came back to San Diego and got involved with a larger-than-life character called Captain Sticky and ended up working with Jerry Brown when he was our governor the first time. And we managed to work with various state agencies to get nursing homes to be a little more amenable to caring, truly caring for the people in their care, the organized crime people that started to get involved in it. We wanted that out. Who is Captain Sticky, Ben? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> He's passed away now. His real name was Richard Pesta, and he, was, uh, he had more than his 15 minutes of fame. Many of the television programs of the day uh, carried his adventures back in the 70s and 80s. Uh, his main, um, the main memory I have of him is, is his walk for human dignity from San Diego to Sacramento. And he walked through all the populated areas, garnering a great amount of public attention and media attention because he weighed uh, over 250 pounds and he wore a blue leotard with a gold S on the chest and a gold flowing <laughs> cape and gold boots, pointed boots, a big old bushy beard, and he was fighting for truth, justice, and the American way. Now, was he a private investigator? You know, he was at heart. Uh, I got to okay. give him his due. He was not a licensed private investigator. So let's think of him as a warm and fuzzy version of an unlicensed private investigator. Oops. What he did, he was the <laughs> champion for the underdog, Francie. Okay. All right. So then, then, then how did you get started in the gas lamp district? Well, it was through that uh, mini-adventure with Captain Sticky, which lasted a year, and we finally got uh, the laws changed in the state, at the state level, thanks to Janet Levy and the Department of Aging, Aging and Cynthia Harrington, I think was her name, up in uh, the uh, California Department that oversaw nursing homes. But I returned to San Diego broke. I mean, like a lot of interesting and, and later colorful stories, sometimes you begin with nothing. And Indeed, when I came back to San Diego, I had exhausted my credit cards buying uh, prime rib for the big man himself, Captain Sticky. And what year was this? That was, uh, we're talking the mid-70s, uh, toward the latter part of the 70s. Okay. And I applied for and was uh, granted the opportunity to work in a RETSI CETA program. That was back in the day, not unlike today, when the government saw that there were a lot of people unemployed. They wanted to jumpstart the economy. And I managed to qualify, and I became a uh, Retsi CETA beneficiary. I got a check every month, which allowed me to get a little flop room hotel uh, room down in the gas lamp, which wasn't the gas lamp. It was the tenderloin. And the work that I did under that program was uh, telecommunications and film projects. Okay. All right. And then, uh, so then at that time, this is in the 70s, was there a licensing law in California? Absolutely. Uh, California licensing for private investigators, uh, my research has led me to conclude that 1915 was the year that uh, this, through the prison system, actually, uh, in California, there was a licensing pro- program set up to license private investigators. Through the prison system? Uh, yes, the uh, the. The administration at the state level in California that operated and ran uh, the prison system, 
they were, for whatever reasons uh, they felt justified to do so, they appointed uh, those men and women to set up the first regulatory uh, rules, regulations having to do with private investigators. You know, I should interject. You've given me a wonderful opportunity here. The early 1900s in America, there was a, a great deal of turmoil between uh, politicians, private investigators, law enforcement, the general public. Private investigators had begun to become a little out of control, to put it mildly. There, there were many times when uh, major companies would hire private investigators for strike-breaking and to go undercover and try to break up union uh, mm -hmm. programs, things like that. So the government felt a need in the early 1900s, the first two decades of the 1900s, to step in and rein us in, so to speak. So California came on board in 1915 in that respect. Okay, interesting. Well, I was hoping you weren't going to tell me that it started out in the prison system. <laughs> no, 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 no. Okay. So, all right. So then how did you get your actual um, license? How did you get the training for that? Well, I think I've made the point already without going into any further details or examples. I was already a private investigator, and I didn't know it. But at the conclusion of the year I spent working with Captain Sticky and state officials and the, dealing with the nursing home situation, a little light bulb went on in my head, and I realized that people could get paid for going out and trying to correct wrongs in society, mm -hmm. trying to help people perhaps who lack the power or the resources to defend uh, the matter at hand. And so I worked with an attorney in San Diego. Uh, it took a while. It was an uphill battle. But little by little, I climbed the ladder, and I got to take the test back in 1978. And I was licensed April 10, 1978, and that's why I picked that date, by the way, as the birthday for PI Museum. Right. So, um, so the rules have changed now. Now you have to have a lot more experience. Uh, you're well, actually, about a it was year, in effect right? back then. You know, I had to have, I think it was 4,000 hours back then. Okay, 4,000 hours. So that's two years. That would be yeah. two years. Now you have to have three years or 6,000 hours. Right. I think they've increased that, and they've also uh, given some latitude to men and women who come back from military experience. Uh, they have law enforcement experience, perhaps. Uh, they have some university experience. Mm -hmm. So there are various ways for people to qualify for a portion of those hours. So it's not nearly as stringent as it used to be. They've I see. liberalized it. I see. Okay. All right. So then you started out, uh, you hung up your shingle in the tenderloin. <laughs> well, you know, it's, you know, I, I got to be really honest and say that I'm the luckiest man on the planet. Not only am I married to my, my, uh, my heart, Gloria Poor, who's the mother of PI Museum, but back in those days, in 1978, I was given free rent in an 1890s building, a suite of three offices. That's unheard of. Mm-hmm. So I took those three offices, and the real, the real seed, you might say, the spark that really started the PA Museum on a path that's going to outlive all of us and, and become a real Smithsonian-type institution for our profession is the simple fact that here I am standing in the middle of three offices that I've been given free rent on for a year, and there's nothing in them. They're dilapidated. They need paint. They need sanding. They need all kinds of stuff. And the owner of the property was just then going to start rehabilitating the entire building. So the deal was simple. You do those three rooms, I'll give you free rent for a year. So I did. And along the way, I made this 
I guess I could use the word momentous decision to have one of the offices be contemporary, as modern as I could make it. The one next to that was 1940s, and the one next to that was 1890s. And what that then did was push me down a slippery slope, because once I set up those three stage sets, I would call them, then the way my mind works is I became more and more determined to find out what would actually be in each of those eras, in the rooms, uh, on the desks, in the drawers, on the walls. Hmm. So I started collecting detective spy and private eye memorabilia, and as they say, the rest is history. You live a charmed life in, Harold. Oh, I I admit that. And you know what, Francie, let me just interject. I believe that those of us who do enjoy good health, good relationships, um, some respect in their community and among their peers, what that really equates to in my mind is keep giving back. If you keep giving back, good things come, and that's kind of the mantra that my wife and I live by. We, we definitely believe in karma. Well, and you certainly have done that as long as I've known you. So well, thank you. Uh, it's very true. So tell us more about the museum. So, you, um, so what, was your, what was the first item you ever collected? Do you remember? Um, yes, uh, I think I do. It was down in New Orleans. Uh, it was in an antique mall down there. And I believe it was a, it looks like a pocket watch. I'm looking at it in the lighted display case here in, in a section of the museum. Uh, it's called an Expo, and it looks like an old railroadman's pocket watch, but it's really a camera. They cost about $2.50 back at the turn of the century. I believe that was one of the earliest things that I found. But it runs the gamut, and, and don't leave out fictional. I mean, for years and years and years, I've been collecting spy tech and uh, uh, spy uh, items, uh, detective spy and private eye items that are sold in the toy stores for boys. And it was always a frustration to me, Francie, that there was nothing for the girls. And so okay. imagine how excited I am now that there's two lines out. One's called Spy Chicks, spelled C-H-I-X, a whole line of Spy Chicks toys for young girls who want to aspire to be a private eye. And the other uh, brand is called Undercover Girl, Gear for Your Secret Adventures. So finally society has awakened to the fact that women fit into every nook and cranny of society, always have. We just tried to ignore it for too many years. Yeah, the only thing we had was Nancy Drew. There you go. And, of course, I've got my complete set of Nancy Drew books and my Hardy books. Mm-hmm. And then it runs from the childish, childish, you might say, over to the sublime, because I'm standing in front of one of the bookshelves, and sitting on these bookshelves are 22 Strand Magazine-bound volumes, 22 of them. And the reason I mention those specifically is that's where the original Conan Doyle Sherlock Holmes stories were originally published. So I want you and the listeners to know that the PI Museum proudly has in its book collection 22 leather-bound collections of the Strand magazines. And for those that aren't familiar with the Strand magazine, that was how people kept up with world events in art, music, culture, politics, religion, uh, all the arts. Every aspect of society was represented in the issues of Strand magazine, and perhaps that's why Conan Doyle and Sherlock Holmes um, came alive on those pages. So to have the original... Uh, Strand Magazines is just phenomenal when, when you come to talking about Sherlock Holmes. Is that Strand, S-T-R-A-N-D? Exactly, Strand Magazine. Okay. It okay. was published in England. And, when, and what era was that published in? 
late 1800s all through the early 1900s. Yeah, the middle of the 1800s and then right on up into the 1900s. Then I turn around and I'm looking at the man himself, Eugene Francois V. Duck, the world's first private investigator. Right. And again, I I want the listeners to really uh, wrap their brains around what I'm saying here because none of this belongs to me, Francie. That's the underlying message that I want your listeners to get and my peers to get. Yes, I've been the lucky guy that came up with the idea of decorating his office in a particular way, and then that led to me sliding down a slippery slope, almost like Alice in Wonderland, and coming to the point in my life at 70 years young, as I like to say, where, yes, I'm the caretaker of a lot of stuff, but it really doesn't belong to me. It belongs to all of us. It belongs to the world. These are things that would have been lost. They would have been in attics and and in basements and in boxes and drawers, and that's not where they should be. They should be where people can see and feel and touch them and learn and be inspired from them. Okay, let's take a break, Ben. More talk of PI Museum with Ben Harold in a moment. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. CALI's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact CALI at cali-pi.org or call 1-800-350-CALI. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on P.I.'s Declassified. Do you need directions to solid financial future? If so, the Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with a roadmap to making smart money decisions in every area of your personal finances. Join Jordan every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 3 p.m. Eastern for the Money Answers Show on the Voice America Business Channel. Learn how and where to get the best deals on mortgages, cars, and insurance. Find out the best ways to save for college and retirement. Get out of debt, improve your credit rating, and save on your taxes. The Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with great tips on investment opportunities in real estate, stocks, annuities, and other investment vehicles. That's the Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman on the Voice America Business Channel every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. If you hear a dog barking or an angel singing, then you know that you're listening to Waking Up in America. Heard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific Time, Valerie Kirkard and all of her friends will bring you powerful and humorous discussions that raise thoughts and give you insight on how to live your life to its fullest potential. Adventure is always a must on Waking Up in America with Valerie Kirkard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific. 
Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. Ben Harold, curator of P.I. Museum, is with us today. And... He was just talking about uh, the first, the very first uh, PI, the Frenchman that's credited with establishing the first known detective agency in 1833, Eugene Francois Vidoc. Um, I did a little research on, on Eugene Vidoc, and he evidently was quite a colorful character, wasn't he, Ben? Oh, very much so. He was what we call a swashbuckler. A swashbuckler? He was always getting into um, fistfights and sword duels. He was always standing up for the woman who had been wronged or whatever, or some cause. I mean, he was, he was a man way ahead of his time, and he was impatient with people, and he was a direct action sort of an individual. So they kept throwing him in prison, and he kept escaping. I mean, he did it so effortlessly that they thought he was uh, almost a ghost sometimes. Hmm. So he finally convinced the French uh, law enforcement authorities to allow him to uh, put together a group of men like himself who were familiar with the prison system and, and knew how to play the, play the game, so to speak. And he became, for the French government, the man who started the French Sûreté, which is their FBI. And he would go into prison in some guise, uh, get all the evidence on who, who did what crimes, and then he would leave you know, and uh, come back and with the, with his uh, associates and make the arrests uh, on the outside of the prison because the people inside knew who the players were on the outside. Right. Seventeen. Uh, his his uh, span of time was 1775 to 1857, and the name of his investigative company was Le Bureau de Resemans, um Intelligence Bureau, basically. And your PI Museum, Francie, and your listeners' PI Museum has two letters written by this great man, one in 1841, which is being translated for us by one of our peers uh, who's French-speaking herself in Washington, D.C., and it's on a very fancy letterhead with his mm. address on it, Galerie Vivienne Number 13 in downtown Paris, France, in a very exclusive shopping area now because it goes back to the 1700s. The second letter is more poignant. It was written in 1852, and he's begging the French government for a little stipend so he can buy some bread and some wine, and he eventually got it. Really? And he died five years later. Because he was indigent at the time? He had become indigent, that's right. His health had uh, dissipated, he had dissipated health-wise. He had lost all his fortune, his prestige and credibility. And frankly, it's just the universal that we all uh, see in the world, that all great men and women, when they become old, they're expendable. Let's face it. That it's a cruel world out there, and even the greatest of men and women who've made huge accomplishments for the world 
um, through their endeavors. Uh, when they become elderly, uh, they're ignored. They're they're set aside. Mm-hmm. They're shut to the side, and that that's okay. that's wrong. But that's just the way the world is. And the same thing happened to Viduck. But the Viduck Society, which exists today and helps solve unsolved murders, is a living testament to this great man, the Viduck Society. So Google that, and you'll learn more about that. And he was, you know, he was many things. He was a card shark, wasn't he? Um, he was a, a forger who actually served some time for forgery. That's right. Then he opened a paper uh, producing company that produced special papers for banks and special documents, uh, certificates, uh, stocks, bonds, whatever. Uh, he had some of the best papers, and they were conceived of by this brilliant man and produced in such a way that they were very difficult to alter. And he would only hire former convicts because he came to trust them because <laughs> they wanted a new start in life. He gave them that, and uh, those were his employees. So he was very well known. He made quite a bit of money initially in that field. And he was uh, probably the first one to recognize the importance of fingerprinting and uh, blood testing and ballistics and those kind of things in, in criminal investigations, wasn't he? But you're exactly right, and, and that's the amazing thing about him, because he even did very crude and elementary uh, ballistics, footprints, um, files on uh, uh, criminals' uh, habits and activities, um, just about any area that we now call a special area of research within the law enforcement criminal justice system, he dabbled in it, whatever, whatever it was, detecting forgeries, uh, he was an expert at a lot of this. In fact, the letter that's being translated right now on his fancy letterhead dated 1841, I'm being told that it's an early, early, early example of uh, forensic uh, accounting. Imagine that, 1841, and he's giving a report in this letter about a forensic accounting matter. I mean, that's unheard of. So, yes, he was the progenitor you might say, or the, the person who opened a lot of doors that others have followed in his footsteps and made uh, scientific disciplines in their own right. Well, you know, Ben, last week the guest on the show was Greg Hartley, who's a former military interrogator and has written seven books on uh, how to spot a liar and, and other books by the similar topic. And so I know Greg would be very interested in... Uh, Eugene Vidoc, because I understand he also had a kind of a different approach on doing interrogations and mentions in his memoirs that he never took um, the person he arrested to prison right away, but but invited him over to dinner where he had a little chat with him and got information about other crimes and obtained confessions in a nonviolent way and then even recruited future informants. And sometimes even agents and probably even people that made his uh, counterfeit-proof paper for banks. Exactly. Uh, the man really had a mind that grasped the, the total human condition uh, in an in-depth way. So he was bringing um, his brain trust, I'll call it, he was bringing that to the criminal justice system in France. You know, he later traveled to England and gave talks on his life and his cases and his work. Uh, and that's something that's little known. I've come across references in newspapers, old newspapers in England, where he's appearing on stage. And what the great man did was he would bring uh, 
some of the um, colorful and sometimes overly traumatic items from famous murder cases or uh, mm-hmm. related to things that he had been involved in. He would bring those and put them on stage, hold them up, people could see them, and then he would talk about his life and his cases, and then he would answer questions. So he was um, unique in that respect, too. He didn't just stay in France. He traveled. He shared what he had learned and experienced with others where and when he could. That's great. Well, we've often also talked about um, people who worked at Pinkerton and were associated with the Pinkerton Agency. Can you tell us a little bit about your collections on Pinkerton? Yes, I'm looking at a photograph of Charlie Seringo. Um, people are going to hear a lot more about Charlie Seringo. His, his life uh, was so colorful and so dramatic. He was a young man of 13, 14 years old when he became a, a cowboy, a cowpuncher. He became very adept with knives and guns. Uh, he was a, a great horseman. But uh, he found himself in Chicago as a relatively young man and applied for work with Pinkerton. The Chicago office hired him and placed him in the Denver office. In that, in that period of time, we're talking way out west in Denver, and uh, James McParlane was in charge of that office, the famous Pinkerton agent that went undercover on the Molly McGuire's case and other famous cases. So Charlie Seringo spent nearly 25 years traveling the west, going undercover. He would literally, Francie, ride into the, an encampment of uh, horse thieves or train robbers or stagecoach robbers and present himself as an escaped uh, convict or as somebody on the run from the law. And he was so clever in his undercover guises that they accepted him. So he'd sit around the campfire and everybody would be taking a swig from the jug. And just like V-Duck, he would bond with these, these men, these desperados, gain their secrets, then he would slip away under the cover of darkness and go get the rest of the Pinkerton and come back and make the arrest. He did, mm. did that time after time after time. Interesting. And you, don't you have all kinds of uh, badges that say Pinkerton Detective Agency of different flavors and shapes? Yes, styles? and that's, that's one of the real treasure troves of the museum because the I'm going to be bringing a, a section of the Pinkerton uh, display from the PI Museum to the Cali Reno Conference. Okay, and I'm and doing that really to honor C.W. Sellers uh, for the work he's been doing behind the scenes to work with Securitas, who bought Pinkerton, to bring the Pinkerton brand back. So I want to try to accelerate that process uh, by bringing to officials of Pinkerton, who will be at the Cali event in Reno in June, uh, bring these artifacts there so that they can see them and know that there are those of us out there that, that are passionate about preserving the Pinkerton name uh, historically. So Securitas is coming around to, and they're hearing us now, thanks to the work of C.W. Sellers. But the badge that uh, on break you asked me to specifically mention, Francie, uh-huh. is the badge, the only one of its kind in the world, and I was so, so lucky to find it on eBay and be able to acquire it. It's the badge that belonged to Quincy J. Gilmore. And if your listeners want to see this badge, they can just go to Google and type in Quincy J. Gilmore, and they'll see the man and they'll see the badge. He was the Don King of his day back in the early 1900s, but with a lot of style and class, a very educated man. Ben, this is a good time for a break, okay? Okay. We'll be back in a couple minutes with PI stories from PI Museum's collections. Are you there?
the Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. CALI's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact CALI at cali-pi.org or call 1-800-350-CALI. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on PIs Declassified. IRB Search is simply the best online data provider for locating people, businesses, and assets. IRB Search gives you strength in numbers. With one click, you can access billions of records. Even with partial information on your subject, IRB Search instantly returns current and past addresses, phone numbers, and more. Call IRB Search today at 1-800-447-2112 to sign up. Mention PIs Declassified and you'll receive a two-week trial of 100 free searches to get started. Call 1-800-447-2112 to find out why IRB Search is simply the best. Step into the doorway to conscious choice, greater health, and well-being. Attain the balance that you've been seeking. Tune in and turn on 1111 Talk Radio. Feed the mind. Embrace positively. Release the tension. Step out of fear. Host Simran Singh will help you broaden your mind and open your heart toward a greater understanding of how to take charge of your life. 1111 Talk Radio is here every Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time on 7th Wave Network. 1111 Talk Radio. Because shift happens. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. Are you interested in artifacts and collections of detective spies and private eyes? You can learn more about them at www.pimuseum.com. But today, we have the curator himself in person, Ben Harrell. And Ben, I just wanted to go back. You were mentioning the Kelly Conference, and I think people may not know what that means. So that's um, the California Association of Licensed Investigators. And that is a group of uh, around 1,600 or so private investigators um, from California and some from across the country as well that belong to the association. And they're having their annual conference in Reno, Nevada, um, June 24th and 25th. 
and Ben, I guess you're going to be there with all your interesting uh, collection of things. Well, Francie, you've given me the opportunity that I've been waiting for. The board of directors of Cali made a decision to support this idea, this vision of having a PI museum on wheels so that more people could have access to the contents of the museum and we could take the museum, in effect, to venues all over the nation and eventually all over the world. But let's stick with the United States. Cali started that uh, a short time back. The board of directors Cali saw fit to step up to the plate and be the very first industry vendor sponsor of the PI Museum on Wheels. I call it PMOWS, by the way, P-I-M-O-W apostrophe S. Okay. So the PMOWS project is now real. And what followed, once Cali made that decision and broke the ground, then Merlin followed, Merlin okay, uh, Data Information. Who, let's, let's talk about who Merlin is, because Merlin is a sponsor for this show. Yes. And shortly after that, the Special Investigative University, uh, Randy Coburn out of Denver, Colorado, for Education for Investigators, came on board. Now I had three. And then after that, um, Jimmy Messis came on board with PI Magazine. Uh, after that, uh, NCISS came on board. Okay, let's, and, let me and now we have enough industry vendor sponsors to actually get the work done, to pay the various professionals that need to do the work on the vehicle. And we have a lot of surprises that I won't announce in this program, but trust me, we're going to blow the socks off of the uh, people at the hotel where the Cali conference is going to be because of what we're going to do with the PI Museum on Wheels out in front of the hotel. So I'll kind of tease the listeners. If they're anywhere in the area of Reno during that period of time in June and they see the PMAL, there's going to be something that's going to happen on that vehicle that's going to be kind of groundbreaking in our industry, and we're going to use it to promote our sponsors and to promote the PI Museum on Wheels. So I'm very excited about that, but Cali really started the ball rolling. Again, that's another slippery slope in the history and life of PI Museum. It would never happen without the vision of Cali. Well, let me just explain to who some of these people are, or groups that you're talking about. Merlin is a sponsor of this show, Merlin Information Systems, and they um, provide proprietary data to private investigators. Um, NCISS is the National Council of Investigating Security Services, which is the national organization um, for private investigators, mainly um, advocating for private investigators and security professionals in Washington, D.C., with government and Congress. So your your folks are um, MPI Muse- uh, PI Magazine, of course, um, owned by Jimmy and Ro Messis, is a magazine that is published out of New Jersey that comes out to the PI community. Um, I believe it's about four times a year. So uh, it's a very exciting group that you've pulled together here um, to take your, I call it your, your PI Museum Mobile, but you have another name for it. <laughs> Yeah, PMOW, P-I-M-O-W-S, but it uh, stands for uh, PI Museum on Wheels Tour 2011-2012. So hang on, folks. We're actually going to have a tour uh, T-shirt that people will be able to to have and wear, particularly the vendor sponsors and their employees and supporters. But all of the sponsors will be on the back of the shirt, just like a rock and roll concert with uh, 
the Grateful Dead or, or Madonna or the Rolling Stones. <laughs> we think it's just that exciting. So this shirt will be produced and uh, made available. I want to say something special about Jimmy Messis because once Cali came on board, Merlin, SIU, NCISS, I still was short budget-wise. Jimmy not only stepped in with an industry vendor sponsorship from PI Magazine, he added PI Gear, which is his company for equipment, and he added PI Bookstore, which is resources for private investigators. So Jimmy's the man in my book, and I'm eternally grateful. He's been a stalwart supporter from the very, very, very beginning. And I should mention that if anybody's in the area of Reno that would like to drive by and look at this um, interesting um, spectacle, maybe, because I think it's going to be an event uh, from what you described, Ben, uh, the conference will be at the Grand Sierra Hotel and Casino in Reno, June 24th and 25th, the Grand Sierra Resort. So um, that's, that's just very exciting. So let's go back to some of your other artifacts. How how many do you have, do you think? Do you have any idea how many? Well, again, very insightful uh, question because if, if I were to weigh the collection uh, <laughs> that has come together over 35 years, it would be several tons. And okay. wrap your brain around that, several tons. I can't. And, and the reason it's it's so heavy in terms of its volume and weight is that it contains things that people wouldn't expect. There are several cars in the museum, uh, okay. beginning with Hal Lipsitz's uh, 1972 Citroen Maserati that belonged to the legendary private investigator Hal Lipsitz, um, whose book is the Bug in the Martini Olive, because he created a bug that looked like an olive in a martini. So Hal Lipsitz's car is in there. I've got a Colombo car that's actually being worked on right now that belonged to an attorney friend of mine that was actually in the Colombo episodes on TV. Uh, there's a J.J. Arms car waiting to be brought to the museum when we get a brick-and-mortar museum with enough room to accept it. So there are several cars in the museum in various stage of acquisition and repair and restoration. Books. Um, basically, I've got a mini library. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't have room to unpack all of the great books, but anything connected with Detective Spies and Private Eyes that was ever published is fair game for collecting for the PI Museum, whether fictional or real. I've got books written by PIs, books written about PIs. I've got there's a set of two books called Defective Detectives. Very interesting reading because it was written with, with uh, an, att- an attempt at humor in a way, but then I discovered that there are dozens and dozens of PIs that have some physical infirmity that have made careers as private investigators despite not having in Jay Arms's case, not having arms. He blew his arms off when he was a boy of 11. Right. But right. he has steel claws, and he can do things that superheroes can do. So the PI Museum contains literally tons of stuff. And I'm, speaking of stuff, I'm looking at the world's only badge of its kind. It's the National Negro Detective Agency, and it belonged to Quincy J. Gilmore. And he was the promoter for all the Negro League baseball teams back in the mm-hmm. early 1900s, particularly the Kansas City Monarchs that won the World Series. Uh, he was also the owner of a funeral parlor, a billiard parlor, and a blues and jazz club where Alberta Hunter used to sing, a famous jazz vocalist. So here's a man who was a legend. He stood as a giant in the industry of PR and uh, black baseball and in private investigations and security. 
So I'm very, very proud uh, a member of our, as a member of our profession to have had a man of that stature who was also interested in our field and actually created a company. Well, and, you know, I w- we would be remiss, Ben, I think, if we didn't mention the passing of um, the second-generation person that ran Star Detective Agency uh, out of Chicago. Um, Viv- I believe her name is Vivian Wilson. And her that Star Detective Agency was established in 1923 by her father, and he was a son of slaves. And then uh, she took over and built uh, Star Detective Agency into one of Chicago's oldest and largest black-owned businesses. She just uh, passed away in March at 93. Uh, the company is still owned by her daughter and her granddaughter. Um, so it's it's now going on the fourth generation of uh, black-owned detective agency, which is pretty exciting. You know, I'm so happy that you did that because I'm holding in my hand... Uh, as you were saying that, I'm holding the gold badge that I was handed by Almeida E. Dunn when I met her um, a year ago or so at the NCIS's 34th conference here in San Diego when you were so kind enough to invite me over to speak briefly about PI Museum uh, out in the foyer. I was able to meet Almeida, and her intention was uh, that she was going to come over and visit the museum before she left town. But she herself uh, had some health issues during that period, and wasn't able to come over. But I've got her card in a plastic sleeve in the display case right next to Quincy J. Gilmore, and it is my goal. Uh, I will do this. I want to expand the display in the museum about her family because it really represents uh, a lineage going uh, way back to how private investigative companies can become dynasties and family uh, legacies. Uh, in her particular case, you're right, uh, the, the man that started it came to Chicago and started providing security for street vendors, people who were card tables selling trinkets or novelties. As they moved into storefronts, he followed them, provided more security. And as you said, they've grown to be a, a leader in the community in Chicago. So I'm anxious to get myself and the PI Museum back to Chicago and meet all the people there today, let them know how interested we are in hearing their stories and I think one of the first uh, women that I want to do a documentary on is Almeida Dunn. And Almeida is the daughter of uh, Vivian uh, Vivian Wilson. Vivian, actually, it's Vivian Valora Bratton Wilson. And uh, quite, quite a woman, as is Almeida. And her daughter who's coming up, Dominique. So, um, you know, we're, we're getting close to the break again, but... Uh, since we're talking about women, uh, there was a woman, a, a pretty famous woman in San Francisco, California, uh, who had her office on Post Street. Wasn't her name Diane Penfield? You're right, and you were the the only one. When I sent out the email asking any San Francisco investigator that finds themselves near 210 Post Street, please get me a picture of the Shreve Building, and please get me a picture of the office, the door that says 915 on it. And, Francie, you did that, and you presented that uh, framed uh, those pictures to me uh, at the 34th Annual NCISS Conference in San Diego. I'm holding her badge in my hand, Diane Penfield, California State License 862 Detective. It's a gold-filled badge, which was legal and authorized by the state of California back in her day, which was the early 40s. 
She started in Los Angeles. I've been to the home that she lived in in Los Angeles. Uh, it's over by a coliseum. It's in an, um, an area in transition, as they say. There are a lot of old craftsman homes there. But when she started in the business, she lived in the home that I visited, and there was a little uh, a granny flat in the back, a little uh, bungalow in the backyard, and Wyatt Earp used to live there years ago. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> but she ended up in San Francisco at the peak of her career. Isn't that where all famous female private investigators end up? That must be it. So thank you for mentioning and allowing us to talk about Diane Penfield. She's one of my personal heroes as far as female PIs. Well, it was fun going to that office because the office is vacant. And uh, um, the security guard at the downstairs uh, concierge really didn't think it was a good idea for me to go up and take those photographs. But but he allowed it, and then he got in trouble for it afterwards, unfortunately. (laughs) You know, right next to that picture of those offices in her badge, I have a a very ornately dis, um, uh, engraved pocket watch, silver pocket watch and watch fob and chain that belonged to Edward Byram. He was a longtime early uh, 1900s uh, detective with the San Francisco police, but he moonlighted as a Pinkerton detective, and he kept a journal of all mm-hmm. of his cases. So that's another addition to the museum that people will be able to eventually see online on the PIMuseum.org on our website and eventually see in what we hope will be not too far down the road, a brick-and-mortar museum where people can come and bring their families, bring their friends, and and basically breathe in, if you will, the history of detective spies and private eyes. All right. We need to take another break, Ben. We'll be back in a couple of minutes with PI Stories from PI Museum's collections again. Thank you. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll free 1 866 472 5787. 1 866 472 5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. CALI's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact CALI at cali-pi.org or call 1-800-350-CALI. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on P.I.'s Declassified. Go behind the scenes of what you see, hear, and read on the news. Learn the ins and outs of public relations on Stars of PR with Cindy R. Every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time. Cindy Rakowitz is a Clio Award winner and founder of Rock and Roll Public Relations who wants to share her PR experiences and knowledge with you. Learn how to handle a crisis, deal with celebrities, and become a terrific PR executive. 
Listen to the Stars of PR with Cindy R. every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time here on News Talk Radio, VoiceAmerica.com. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. P.I. Museum has an amazing collection of relics and historical documents, items, all kinds of things from detective spies and private eyes. Let's not let this collection get away. Like any museum, this collection needs financial support. It's available for viewing by appointment. If you're interested in learning more about PI Museum, go to www.pimuseum.com. Um, ben, one of the thing, one of the items I like, and you have allowed me to use it on my website, um, pisdeclassified.com, is the C.T. Ludwig Detective Training Correspondence School. I love that. And it, it includes the opportunities of the trained detective, complete with a ruler, because every P.I., of course, needs a ruler, a 265 book entitled Laws the Detective Should Know, and an official badge. Of course, we can't have badges in California any longer as a private investigator, but an official badge, badge in gold and enamel, and then 20 lessons that were available for $7.50 with installment payments accepted. So Right. You could finance it by um, sending in uh, a couple dollars, I think it was, and then a dollar every uh, course. So you could end up spending, I think, $12 or something or $10 total. So, yeah, there was a phenomenon that swept our country, and the ads were generally in the men's magazines. And every farmer in Idaho or Iowa or Podunk, wherever, aspired to be a PI. So they would send in their money and they would get these courses. And I actually have some of their handwritten courses where they filled out the answers and sent them in to be graded. And those kinds of things are priceless. I mean, these human hands touch these things and uh, they're infused with the dreams of that person. So I feel like I'm holding history in my hand when I hold these things. Absolutely. And you have so many items, and I know I ask you how many you have. I, you don't know how many you have, do you? <laughs> oh, it's in the thousands, and that's I'm the sure part. It's that, at least you know, in the when I do turn this on to a board over to a board of directors, which I intend to do, and I'm not going to charge a dime for it. My life's collection is my legacy to the industry, and when I turn it over to the board of directors, made up of men and women from our our profession, uh, they're going to have to realize that that means. They have to bring the U-Haul trucks over. They have to pick all this stuff up, and they have to take it somewhere because that will take it off of our shoulders, and then my wife and I will be able to kind of downsize our lifestyle a bit, maybe even sell our property and put that money in the bank for our old age and travel a bit because I'll always be traveling and finding more treasures and artifacts to donate myself to the museum. I mean, Mm -hmm. after all, if I can't continue finding and donating and sharing, if I can't do it as a model, 
how am I going to inspire others to do it? So that's how we plan to spend the rest of our lives. Right, and you're actually looking for a place to house it permanently. And uh, I know that's an ongoing uh, discussion that, that you're having with various people. So um, let me just mention again the featured sponsor as Merlin Information Services, proprietary, I can't say that, proprietary data solutions to private investigators providing information about people, business, and assets. If you're interested in Merlin, a link to their site is available at www.pisdeclassified.com. Next week, my guest is Pawan Ayuwelia, coming from New Delhi, India, a private investigator and security professional from India. Uh, he's chairman and managing director of a company called Premier Shield, and it's Pawajant, Pawajit Aluwelia. And that's next week. The following week, May 19th, is Armando Stavoli from Rome. So tune in next week as we declassify more real stories from real investigators. Thank you so much, Ben. It's been an exciting uh, show today. It's PIs Declassified. I'm Francie Kaler. Thanks so much for listening. You've been listening to P.I.'s Declassified with your host, Francie Kaler. Tune in every Thursday at noon Eastern Time. That's 9 a.m. for you West Coast listeners. P.I.'s Declassified explores stories of deceit, mystery, and detectives unraveling the truth. Every Thursday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific Time, here on the Voice America Variety Channel.